And welcome to the Employment Hour, the number to call, 1-855-821-5900, and it is Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. And for the next hour, we're talking things concerning employment, severance, and all. We have so many topics to get to today. We'll get to some emails and some information I'm sure you didn't know before you turned the radio on to this channel. So we'll get to that shortly. We start with the week that was. That's right, John. Mm-hmm. Uh, the week that was, and... Always happy to be back here uh, to be, hopefully uh, everyone had a good New Year's. Hopefully everyone is still employed gainfully. Uh, but unfortunately, if you're not, if you're going to be one of those unfortunate people that uh, uh, are going to be falling due to cuts as a result of uh, cuts imposed in your workplace, we're here to tell you what your rights are in the workplace so that you know. Starting off with the week that was, I always like to start off by talking about a couple of scenarios that I saw uh, briefly. So these are matters that calls that I got right before the holidays. Uh, and the first matter involved a gentleman who had worked a uh, night shift uh, for the last five years, consistently worked a night shift uh, every, uh, every single week, five days a week. That's what he was doing and worked really well with his personal life uh, in terms of being able to, to care for his children during the day because his wife worked during I've the day. Been so, there. So, yep. so it worked out quite well. Uh, well, his employer decided shortly before the holidays that effective January, they're going to start working rotating shifts. So no longer will he just be working uh, night shifts. He'll be working day shifts as well, and it's going to rotate back and forth, back and forth. Uh, and the problem was, number one, uh, he didn't like that as, as, as well. But number two, given the obligations that he had at home, he needed to be home at a certain time. He and his wife have built their their, their life, their, their whole schedule yep. around the fact that he was working at night. And now, half the time, he's going to be working during the day. Uh, his wife couldn't take time off work. It, it just wouldn't work. So... He called me in, in, in a panic saying, what, what am I going to do come January? I mean, I, th- this is not going to work for me. I, I, I can't afford to be unemployed. So, so what's going to happen? Well, what I told him uh, is this, and hopefully some of our listeners by now would know what I, I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. But what I told him is that, no, an employer does not have a right to impose a change like that. Changing your shift from nights to day is a huge change. It's exactly the opposite of what you had. An employer doesn't have a right to do that. However, that said, the fact that we've established that the employer does not have a right to do that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a way of stopping the employer from doing that. What it means is you can treat that as a termination and get paid severance, leave and get your severance. So even though you're going to be out of work, I guess, because you're leaving, you're going to get paid severance. For him, it was about six months pay, uh, and that gives you the time you need to find another job. Uh, and that may work better for you if you can't work during the day. It is what it is. So he was actually quite relieved uh, to know that he has that choice, that if he does end up leaving, which he would have no choice but to do, rather than just being a resignation, this is really a constructive dismissal, a termination. Therefore, he gets severance. So a lot of uh, I've, I've done a lot of cases like that over the years with shifts being changed. So that's a fairly common uh, situation, uh, John. And certainly, if your shift, your hours of work are changed in such a significant way, you have a choice. You can accept that change, continue working, mm-hmm. or treat that as a termination and require the company to pay you your full severance. That's what happened with this gentleman, and he's going to tell his employer now, actually this week, that he's not going to do that. And if his employer uh, says, too bad, uh, you have no choice, then he's going to leave, and we're going to pursue this as a constructive dismissal. You mentioned full severance for this uh, particular case. You've also mentioned in the past that there's cases when they make changes, or I I think it's under the same sort of guideline where you may get severance, but not your full severance all the time, right? Yeah, and and there are some situations uh, where you may not get your full severance. Oftentimes that happens. If the uh, if there's maybe a sale of a business and you're offered a job by the buyer, but right. it's a similar it. job, 
uh, and you decide not to accept it, you may still get severance, not your full severance. In this particular case, in light of the fact that that's such a significant change that the company was implementing, absolutely he gets his full severance. I said about six months pay nice. for him, so, so nothing to scoff at. Uh, and, and that's a, a huge relief to him. And, and a lot of our listeners are going to find themselves or have found themselves, I'm sure, in the same situation. What's your next one? Uh, the next one, very different uh, matter, involved a, a lady that called me, a very uh, difficult uh, position she was at. She had a car accident just over a year ago, serious car accident, uh, incurred some, uh, some you know, fairly significant injuries. And uh, as a result, she wasn't uh, wasn't able to work for a while. She hurt her back, she hurt her legs, Mm -hmm. uh, couldn't work. Well, after a while, after a few months, she was able to come back to work on modified duties. So she couldn't do exactly her job, but she could do a bit of a different job with different uh, physical uh, requirements and uh, work at reduced hours. And now, over the past few months, she's slowly getting better. She could work more hours. She still had the same physical restrictions, but she was working towards uh, limiting those restrictions and going back to normal at some point down the road. Down there, yeah, Yeah. she's getting there. It takes time. And the employer was accommodating her. She was providing modified duties and, and changing the hours as needed. Well, uh, right around the early uh, early part of December, the employer sent her a letter saying, we now no longer can accommodate you. We don't have uh, modified duties for you. Uh, and because we don't have anything to accommodate you, that's a frustration of contract. Uh, you're out of here, and, and we don't have to pay you your full severance. Right. Well, wait a second. That, there's a number of problems with that. Number one, if the employer is accommodating her, uh, clearly the employer can't just decide one day that it's going to stop accommodating her. Obviously, the employer is able to accommodate. It's been doing it for mm-hmm. a few months. Uh, so it cannot wake up one day and say, today we've decided that that's too hard. Today, we no longer want to accommodate you. The employer has to continue accommodating. That's not their choice. It's their legal obligation. Second, Let's assume that for some reason, the employer couldn't accommodate. Something's changed and they can no longer give her modified duties. Well, that's still not a frustration of contract. The employer can simply allow her to continue on a leave of absence and come back to work when she's ready. I see. Frustration of contract would only happen if she was gone for so long, usually two years or more, and there's no prospect of her ever coming back to work. Uh, So in this case, they've terminated her employment. It's not a frustration of contract. They owe her full severance. Plus, the fact that they've refused now to continue accommodating her, that's a, a violation of the Human Rights Code. So they potentially also damages for, uh, damages for breach of the, of the Human Rights Code. So the employer did this wrong. The employer didn't think this through and no. didn't operate properly. So uh, I'm now, right now as we speak, in the process of, of helping this lady make sure she gets her full compensation. Lots of information to be had here. In the meantime, you want to check out severancepaycalculator.com. We'll talk about that when we come back as soon as we get into segment two. In the meantime, the number to get hold of Lior anytime, even outside the show hours, is one 821 5900 The employment are right here on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. The Employment Hour right here on AM640 and AM900 CHML. The number is 1-855-821-5900 and Lior at employmenthour.com. I promise to touch on and get into the severance pack calculator before we, uh, before we move on. So give us some details. So another year uh, started, and that marks close to three years now, John, since we've had the severance. Is it really? Uh, yeah, I think wow. it's getting up there. Uh, certainly well over two and a half. And hundreds of thousands, literally, of people have used it. And uh, for those that don't know what it is or are hearing us for the uh, first time, uh, severancepaycalculator.com. What it is, as the name suggests, it's a tool that allows you to determine how much severance you are owed if you lost your job. Or for an employer, it allows you to determine how much severance you have to pay an employee you're about to let go. 
And how does it do that? You input three pieces of information, the length of your employment, your age, and the type of job. You just uh, pick it from a uh, drop-down menu. And then it's going to tell you how many weeks, months, pay, 6, 12, 18, 24, anything else in between that you are owed. Uh, it's it's uh, the right way to do it. It's the accurate way to do it. It avoids uh, the half-truths and the misconceptions that are out there. Uh, and it's a really, really important tool that you have in your back pocket. If you are let go, if you walk out of that termination meeting uh, with your severance paper, you go to severancepaycalculator.com. Or maybe you, you haven't been let go. You're not being let go. You just have always curious. wanted to know. You're sure. curious. Who hasn't been curious? Hey, if they did let me go tomorrow, what would I be owed? Well, guess what? severancepaycalculator.com. Check it out. It's easy. It's free. Uh, and I encourage everyone to use it. And if you're an employer, you're thinking of doing a little uh, <clears throat> house cleaning, yeah. you might want to uh, get, a, get a beat on it and see what you're going to Yeah, and if right. you're an employer, you want to make sure you comply with your legal obligations. You don't want to have uh, legal disputes on your hand. Severancepaycalculator.com. Easy, easy, easy. We'll talk about clarifying misconceptions with respect to severance right here. You have to work at least five years to get your severance. Yeah, John, there's so many misconceptions out there when it comes to severance and employment law in general, but especially with severance. You know, people uh, may have heard something online uh, or read something online or heard something from their second cousin and they think, well, that that's gospel. That's the way it is. And often, almost every single time, that's wrong and it's completely misleading. So, you know, that really was why we started doing this show almost three years ago, John, is because I saw these misconceptions out there and I said, no, no, we got to have uh, the truth out there. We got to tell people what it is because there's really good legal protections that are available, but they don't do you any good if you don't know what they are. Yeah. Right. Your, so if the your log- uncle Jim doesn't know them. So. Right. 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 So, so we started by talking about misconceptions as, when it comes to severance. As you mentioned, probably one of the biggest ones is the fact that you only get severance if you uh, work for five years or more. That's a huge misconception. It's wrong. It's false. It's not true. Every employee is entitled to severance, even if you work for a very short period of time, even if you work for a month or a few months, you still get severance. Uh, severance is the payment that you get if you lost your job. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Some people call it termination pay. Some people call it pay in lieu of notice. Severance is the common term and everyone gets it. In fact, we talked about short service employees. Oftentimes, short service employees are treated more or better, disproportionately better than long service employees and you may get more severance. So you may, may only have worked for a few months but you would get a few months severance right. right there. So you work for four months, maybe you get about three, four, five, six months severance. So remember, that's a misconception. You do not have to work for five years to qualify for severance. You started working, you lost your job, you qualify for severance. And the one that always goes hand in hand with that misconception is the company has to have a payroll of two and a half million or more. Exactly. Those are the two misconception twins, let's call them right. that. Uh, and, and another misconception, a very common one, is that you only get severance if you work for a large employer, an employer with a large payroll. Again, wrong, false. Even if you work for a small company, you get severance. Not only that, it's the same severance as if you work for a large company. The size of the company, the size of the payroll is irrelevant. So you may work for a thousand, a company with a thousand people or with one person. If you lost your job, you get severance, the same amount of severance. Now, before we move on to the next misconception, yep. why are those misconceptions there? Because if you go online and you, you go on the Ministry of Labor website or maybe you, you search on Google, you'll find references to the five-year and the $2.5 million uh, issues. So why are they there? What are those? Well, your minimum entitlements may be different depending on whether you work for five years or if the company has a large payroll. 
But those are your minimum entitlements, and frankly, no one really cares about that. Your full entitlements have nothing to do with the size of the company payroll or whether you work for five years or more. Your full entitlements is really what matters. Your minimum entitlements are not relevant uh, for the most part. So the size of the payroll doesn't matter. The five-year rule is not a five-year rule. It doesn't exist. We'll talk about this one. You touched on it, but we'll go to this one and come back to some of the bigger ones after the break. We've got a couple minutes here. Short service employees get very little severance. You touched on it. I touched on it, and a very common misconception. Man, I cannot tell you how many times uh, people call me almost apologizing when they call me. They said, well, you know, Lior, I feel bad contacting you. I only work for nine months or six months, whatever it is. (laughs) So I probably only get a week's pay. I thought I'd call you anyway. I said, no, what are you talking about? Of course you don't get a week's pay. You, In fact, you get four months pay, whatever it is. Uh, so the, the misconception is simple. The misconception is that just because you work for a short period of time means you get li- little or no severance. That is wrong. That is false. You get severance either way. And as I said, oftentimes you may get disproportionately more severance than if you work for a long period of time because the law assumes that just because you worked for a short period of time doesn't mean it's going to take you less time to find another job. In fact, it may take you longer. So oftentimes we have employees that have only worked for a few months that get a few months severance. So remember that if you lost your job, please don't be uh, thinking that you don't get severance or maybe only a a week's pay or two weeks pay. That is wrong. SeverancePayCalculator.com to have a look at what you would get. The uh, the proper number, by the way. The number is one 821 5900 to get a hold of Lior or Lior, L-I-O-R, at EmploymentHour.com for email. This is the Employment Hour on Talk Radio, AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. The Employment Hour right here on Talk Radio, AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. It is Lior at EmploymentHour.com to send over an email and the number one 821 5900 Our chat continues. We are talking about the uh, the biggest misconceptions with respect to severance. This one is right up there. It could be the biggest lie since people telling you that the Leafs will win the cup again this year. Uh, <laughs> They're and not. that is <laughs> Please. Okay. When you are let go, you get two weeks or two weeks for every year of severance. People pound their fists saying, that's the truth. That's it. Well, that's if you're lucky. Some people will tell you, you get a week's pay right. for every year. Two weeks is, is you know, some people are going to think it's generous. Well, let's let's make it very clear. Let's uh, clear up this misconception. That's wrong. There is absolutely no rule of a week per year, two weeks per year. First of all, it's going to be a lot more than that, but it's not that straightforward. It's not a week for a year or two weeks or three or four or anything like that. It's an analysis that's based on your length of your employment, your age, and your position. The longer you work, the older you are, and the more senior a position, the more severance is owed to you. Mm -hmm. So it's not a a straightforward rule of uh, this many weeks per this many years. Uh, and some people are going to get a lot more than that. Some people are going to get two, three, four months per year of service. Some people can, can be less than that. Usually, you'd almost never see anyone getting less than three weeks per year of service. That would yeah. be very rare, and oftentimes, it's a lot more. Uh, so remember, that is wrong. That is nonsense. So I can't tell you how many times I see people that uh, uh, work, let's say, for four years, and someone tells them, well, you got eight weeks, that's two weeks per year, that's all you get, when in fact it should be eight months pay instead of eight weeks. So please don't fall for that misconception. As we've said already earlier, to know how much you actually are owed, you can call me, call me on the show, call me at the office, or just go to severancepaycalculator.com. Is there any caveat to that particular uh, rule, for instance, if it's your, in your employment contract on the outset? Yeah, the employment agreement has the, or the employer has the ability to limit a person's entitlements in the employment agreement. So some employees, when they start working, 
they sign an employment agreement that limits their severance. Right. Now, with respect to these agreements, I think the point has to be made that they are often not enforceable. And I, I say more often than not, they're not enforceable because they're not drafted well. There's various other, other reasons uh, as to why they may not be enforceable. So if you lost your job and your employer is telling you, oh, wait a second, I don't have to pay you eight months pay or whatever it is because of this agreement that you signed five years ago, mm-hmm. well, please call me. Let me see the agreement. Let me see if it is, in fact, enforceable. Well, if it's not enforceable, then that's Rip fine. it up. It, rip yeah. it up. It doesn't limit your entitlements. And often the question of whether an employment agreement is enforceable or not can be a question worth hundreds of thousands of dollars or certainly at least tens of thousands yeah. of dollars. So don't assume anything. Don't assume that something is enforceable. Give me a call. It's going to take me exactly 60 seconds to review it and tell you if it's enforceable or not. Uh, number is one 821 5900 Lior at Talking about misconceptions with respect to severance. If you are making the quotation signs here, if you are fired as opposed to laid off, then you don't get severance. Yeah. I, again, another, another misconception that there's this real distinction at the end of the day, the only situation where you do not get severance, John, is if you're let go for cause. That means that you're, da- you're, you're guilty of very significant misconduct. You did something awful, something terrible, something so bad that no employer could ever conceive of employing you. That's a very, very, very high standard. But that's the only time where you can be let go without severance. Every other situation, if your employer lets you go, maybe you did something wrong, maybe you didn't, maybe it's a restructuring, maybe it's cost-cutting, whatever, you get severance. doesn't matter what the employer calls it, layoff, termination, dismissal, fired, you get severance unless you did something so wrong, so bad, so awful that no one can ever employ you. And that's rare and almost no one does that. So if you lost your job and your employer says, and in this situation you shouldn't be getting severance, well, that's often wrong. So you have to give me a call. Being on contract means you don't get severance. Yeah, and and how much uh, fun have we had uh, with uh, that idea over the years, John? This concept of being on contract, or what some people call uh, being independent contractors, where you're not technically employed. Again, that's a misconception. Why is that a misconception that you don't get severance? Because even though you may be on contract or consider yourself to be on contract, the law may consider you to still be an employee. The law doesn't really care what you call yourself or what you consider yourself or what someone else considers you. The law is going to make its own determination. So guess what? If you work for a company, uh, regular hours exclusively for them under their direction, I don't care if you call yourself on contract. You're an employee if that applies to you. And if you're an employee, you have the same rights and entitlements as an employee, which also means if you lost your job, you get severance. So remember, being on contract does not mean you get you don't get severance. In some situation, you could really be an independent contractor, but usually that's a situation where you you know you only work for a company on, on specific uh, small projects. You work for others at the same time. You don't have fixed hours. You, no one is really supervising you. Right. Uh, in that case, you may be on contract. In virtually every other situation, you're probably not on contract and you still get severance. We'll wrap up this uh, topic with this break, and the last one, the misconceptions with respect to severance. If you try and get severance, you try to get in there and ask for more, you're going to burn bridges with your former employer. Yeah, a lot of people think that somehow this idea of, of negotiating full severance, proper severance, is this this confrontational, confrontational and adversarial process. It doesn't need to be, and oftentimes it's not. Oftentimes you can resolve that so quickly, so easily, without burning any bridges, 
And certainly that should never be something that stands in the way for someone pursuing what they are legally owed. Okay, very, very important to remember that. So uh, don't be worried about burning your bridges. You won't. I never go in with like a bull in a china shop, make ridiculous threats. My goal when I work with someone to get severance is to resolve matters respectfully and professionally and quickly. And almost every time we're able to achieve that fairly quickly. We mentioned emails. We'll get to one as soon as we come back from a short break. 1-855-821-5900 is the number to get hold of Lior anytime. Lior at employmenthour.com is the email address. And right here, more of the Employment Hour coming right up on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. This is the Employment Hour indeed. The number is 1-855-821-5900 to get a hold of Lior anytime and Lior at employmenthour.com. The email I promised we get to will come from uh, Sean. Uh, for this one, says, my employer decided to scrap the bonus plan for all employees. It's like Christmas vacation. Uh, I usually get 10000 bucks a year. What can I do? Uh, Sean doesn't say if he's put in a pool. Uh, <laughs> That's right, Griswold. Griswold. <laughs> Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's deal with that. Obviously, we talked at the top of the show about employers changing the terms of employment. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, if an employer uh, scraps a, a significant part of compensation, you know, something like that uh, is gonna doesn't matter how much money you make, it's gonna be a real impact on you if you lose uh, you know ten thousand dollars or more of your income. An employer doesn't have a right to do that. So. Uh, you know, what, what happens? The employee then has a choice, just as we talked about at the top of the show. Number one, they can choose to accept that. They're not happy about it, but they've accepted it. And they continue working, fine. Or they can say, no, I am not going to accept that. That's not the deal. You're not allowed to do this, employer. And then they can treat that as a constructive dismissal, leave, and get their full severance. So that's the choice that they're faced with. Now, uh, the problem with accepting this change, John, and, and you know exactly where I'm going with this, I think, is that if you accept this reduction in your yep. compensation, you've now uh, opened the door. You've opened the floodgates, potentially. You've now allowed your employer to do this. So guess what? Next month, next year, whatever it is, your employer can say, now I'm going to change your compensation again. This time I'm going to reduce your base salary. Or this time I'm going to take other parts of your compensation from you. And at that point, you won't be able to do anything about it because a year a year ago when you let them change uh, the bonus, you didn't do anything about the it. You let them get away with it. Wow. The precedent was set. Mm-hmm. So that's the problem. So in this case, uh, the employee may want to consider treating this as a constructive dismissal. I will say this uh, to this individual and to anyone else listening is if you believe you've been constructively dismissed, if your employer has changed the terms of your employment, please do not resign, do not quit, do not do anything until we've spoken. Because not every change is a constructive dismissal, and you don't want to be in a situation where you you leave and it's really not a constructive dismissal. Call me. The number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is that number. This is something you probably haven't didn't have to deal with uh, as much, you know, say ten years ago in your practice. And that is the use of social media in the workplace, like Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and all that stuff. So we'll get into that. Can can an employer? Uh, fire an employee for using social media during work hours, like fire them? Yeah, and, and, and certainly an employer can, and, and oftentimes an employer does. Now, let, let's break it down. As, as you said, uh, if we did the show some years back, uh, you know, n- we wouldn't know what social media is. Certainly it wouldn't be a hot topic in the, in the workplace. But it is now. Everyone has a Facebook, a Twitter account, et cetera. Uh, some people like or a my smartphone, right? The desk, right? M- multiple yep. accounts. Uh, exactly. And, 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 you know, we always like to keep in touch and see what our friends are saying and post pictures of our kids and, you know, see what, uh, what the plans are with our buddies uh, after work. And the problem with that is that if you're spending time, excessive time doing that during working hours when you, when you should be working, when your employer is paying you to work, 
Your employer has an expectation that while you're at work getting paid, you will focus on work. You will do the work for which you are paid. So now there's some leeway there. If you're spending a couple minutes, uh, you know, once, twice a day, uh, sending an email or, or, or checking your Facebook status, that's okay. But if you're spending a significant amount of time on your Facebook account when you should be working or, uh, you know, making sure that your, your Twitter and LinkedIn profiles are perfect, that's unacceptable. That's, you know, in essence, it's time theft. Yep. You're, you're uh, doing something you're not supposed to do while getting paid for, to do something else. So an employer can uh, discipline an employee for that. We talked about firing. Can an employer fire someone? Well, it depends. If it's a first-time incident, if the employee has never been warned before, no, an employer cannot fire someone for cause for doing that. If it's the fifth time and they've been provided warning and clearly the employee doesn't get it or doesn't care and continues spending excessive time on Facebook, then yes, the employer can terminate unemployment at that point. So context is very important. But certainly, it is a workplace offense to spend excessive time on social media during working hours. We're talking about the use of social media in the workplace, Facebook, Twitter, and all the big ones. I guess it doesn't have to be. It can be social media. How about the things you post uh, on that social network during work hours? Is there uh, any right to privacy on work uh, software computers? You know, a very, very uh, good question. And, you know, our, our courts in the last few years have dealt with this issue a few times, now that social media and, and computers and Internet, obviously, are, are prevalent everywhere. Uh, an employee should not and cannot have any expectation of privacy when it comes to using a work computer. An employee cannot expect that whatever they say, post, email on their work computer or on their work phone is private. An employer does have the ability, the technical ability to monitor what's done on a work computer or work phone. Often an employer does and an employee cannot really expect privacy. So that's a problem. Because if you're posting things that are very private, well, you may not want the employer to see it. Well, guess what? You shouldn't be doing that on a work computer. Or maybe you're, if, I don't know, if you're bad-mouthing your employer, please don't do that on a work computer. Don't post on, uh, on your Facebook account or send an email to say, uh, someone saying how big a jerk your boss is. Certainly not on a work computer because if that happens, an employer can see that, can monitor that. You absolutely can't be let go potentially or disciplined at the very least. So they cannot and there isn't no expectation of privacy on a work computer or any work device. You mentioned uh, and the word you used was, you know, excessive use. Is there anything employers can do or what should they do if they have an employee or employees that are uh, dipping into excessive use of social media in the workplace? Well, the first thing an employer should always do is have a policy in place uh, with respect to computer use and social media use. And an employer should have a social media use policy. Uh, I've drafted many of them over the past couple of years. Uh, and which outlines what, what's allowed, what's not allowed, what the expectations are, and what happens if you breach the policy. So, so that's the first thing. The second thing is you have to tell people about the policy, educate them on that, and tell them what it means. A policy does you no good as the employer if no one knows about it, if it just sits in a drawer, no one's been told about it, no one's been trained on it. So you have to tell people about it. And number three is you actually should monitor what people are doing. Uh, and, and, you know, you, you have the ability an employer to, to uh, monitor what employees do on their work computer. You should monitor that if that's an issue. Uh, and uh, take, uh, take measures if people are taking advantage, if people are spending excessive time. I'm not suggesting letting people go because that's premature. But you want to engage in some discipline, provide a warning, maybe a second warning, potentially a suspension if it's warranted, to try to correct the behavior. Uh, and obviously a termination is always an extreme measure. 
So you have to do those things if you're the employer uh, to, to try to make sure that people are not spending excessive time on social media. We'll uh, wrap up this topic and get to a few more emails here as the show continues. one 821 5900 and Lior at employmenthour.com. You want to drop us an email, we'll get to it before the end of the show, if we can, right here on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. Yeah, the number is one 821 5900 to get a hold of Lior, and you can email him, Lior at employmenthour.com. I will get to uh, two or three emails here in just a moment. want to wrap up the uh, discussion, rather, of social media in the workplace and the uses of it. What if an employee, uh, we, we see this often, you know, in, in the warehouse around, you know, where there's pallets and stuff and guys horsing around maybe bullying another employee. What if it, it, it's social media bullying going on through the workplace? Yeah, and again, another topic that uh, a few years ago people would have given us strange looks if, right. we, if we talked about it, but... But it's a real issue, a real topic, and you know we've all read some some stories about that. There have been some very unfortunate uh, stories of you know younger people even committing suicide because mm-hmm. they were bullied through uh, through social media. So that can be very serious, and these things can bleed into the workplace. They can impact the workplace if if we have uh, an employee that's being uh, harassed on social media by another employee, even though it doesn't happen during work hours, and then they have to work together. That's right. going to impact the workplace, and it's going to impact the ability to work. And you may have people that are so uh, uncomfortable working with this other employee that's uh, uh, th- that's uh, harassing them, that's uh, stalking them, that's making uh, you know uh, comments that are not welcome. That now they they have to go on stress leave. So it could impact the workplace. So what what what's the rule here? What should an employer do? Well, first of all, the employer should always have a, a, uh, a policy that, that encourages people to raise concerns, that encourages people to, to come up and talk about issues that are problematic, talk about harassment, whether it happens in the work, where it happens outside of the work, and whether it happens through social media or otherwise. So people should never be concerned and afraid to raise these harassment issues. And if, in fact, harassment issue is raised, it's the employer should investigate, even if it's through social media, where someone says, well, you know, so-and-so is stalking my Facebook account and, and making nasty comments about me on my face, Facebook uh, profile. An employer should investigate that, and it's perfectly appropriate to take disciplinary measures, even if this all happens outside of the workplace. It's going to impact the workplace. You cannot ignore it. The key here is to have the, that open-door policy, the, the atmosphere, the environment that encourages people to raise harassment issues. And individuals, if you are being mistreated out of the work through social media by a coworker, by a manager, there is recourse. You should speak to uh, the employer. If, if you cannot because they won't be open to that or if you spoke to them and nothing has been done, you call me. I'll be able to help you with that as well. Lior at employmenthour.com is the email. We'll get to a couple here. Nicole writes in, says, my employer fired me for theft, which I didn't do. The employer also refused to give me any proof. What can I do? Well, you know, interesting situation, but I have one real question, whether, and that is whether you did it. Right. If, you, if you did it, I don't really, nothing I can do here. It doesn't matter what the employer said and what proof they had. Uh, if you did it, it's done, it's over. If you stole, that's cause. If you didn't do it, well, we don't care about proof because there can't be proof of something that you didn't do. So if you didn't do it, that is certainly a wrongful dismissal. You cannot be let go for cause for doing something you didn't do. So when it comes to theft, either you did it or you didn't. Uh, if you did do it, you're, you, you can't be let go. If you did not, call me. I'll be able to help you because the employer will never be able to prove something you didn't do. 
So that's all I can say. Numbers, uh, 1-855-821-5900. The email is Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. Frank says, my former employer found out that I am working for a competitor of theirs and is now threatening to take legal action against me. Can they? Any advice? Yeah, no, and, and another common uh, situation that I get in the workplace. Uh, so what I'll say is this. The first thing I'd like to know from uh, from Frank is whether or not at some point he signed uh, an agreement that prevents him from competing. Did he sign a non-competition agreement or a non-competition obligation Mm -hmm. at some point? If he did, we need to understand whether he's in breach of it. So a non-competition obligation will say for how long can you not compete? It will say in what area. So is it just in Toronto? Is it in the GTA? Is it anywhere in Ontario or Canada? So we want to see if he's breaching it. Uh, Now, if he did sign a, a, a non-competition obligation, that actually may not be enforceable. Usually they're not, but an employer, may, former employer may still try to enforce it. So we need to be very careful. If he's in breach of the non-competition ag- agreement, the best advice at that point is to contact the employer and try to work it out with them. Mm-hmm. So you'll allow me to work there, but I promise to stay away from your clients, or I promise not to reveal confidential information. Try to work out a deal that everyone can live with. On the other hand, if... Uh, he never signed a non-competition obligation. Uh, So the employer simply says, well, we don't want you to work for this company, but there's no legal basis for them to take that position. Well, I probably need to get involved at that point and tell him, no, there's no obligation, get off his back, or we'll take legal action against you. So that's my best advice uh, for Frank. We'll talk about a little bit of medical leaves here and uh, leaves from work when disability coverage LTD is denied. What uh, What should an employer do with respect to their employer if it is denied? Yeah, and you know, it's it's a tough situation when it comes to uh, disability leave and medical leaves, and a lot of employers get confused, a lot of employees get confused. The confusion arises from the fact that uh, some employers think, well, if you've been denied disability coverage, disability uh, insurance, the long-term disability insurance says you should be cut off. Uh, or you don't qualify at all, that means you're healthy. That means you can come back to work. So if you don't come back to work, well, you've quit or we can fire you for not coming back to work. That is wrong. Those are two separate issues. Qualifying for LTD or qualifying for long-term disability is different than being allowed to have a medical leave of absence from work. To get a medical leave of absence from work, all you really need is a doctor's note, a doctor's letter saying that you cannot work. Once your employer is provided with that, they can't really do much about it. They have to allow you time off work, not let you go. It's not a resignation. They have to do that. On the other hand, to qualify for long-term disability, there may be other things that are required. There may be specific requirements that have to happen before you qualify. So not qualifying for long-term disability does not mean that your employer can penalize you if you don't come back to work. It does not mean you have to come back to work. The other thing I'll say, by the way, John, is insurance companies, uh, as as you know, often get this wrong. So a long-term disability insurance company may cut you off before they should be or say you don't qualify when, in fact, you should qualify. Uh, And and so just because the insurance company says you're not going to get paid or you're going to stop getting paid does not make it so. Uh, At my firm, we work every single day with people that have been cut off disability before they should, uh, and and we resolve these issues very, very quickly. So if you're in that situation, either your employer is giving you a hard time or your long-term disability insurance company is giving you a hard time, you give us a call. So describe the difference because people get confused whether long-term disability or you're still off or you may be on disability or you're just on a medical leave of absence. Yeah, a medical leave of absence simply means you're off work for medical reasons. You can't 
be coming to work. You're not physically at work for medical reasons, whether it's because of a, a, a psychological issue, a physical issue, because of an accident, or because of a disease. It doesn't matter. It means you cannot work. That's all that it means. That you, I'm not at work today. I'm not at work at this time because of a medical condition. And my employer is simply allowing me to take this time off. That's a medical leave of absence. Long-term disability means that an insurance company deemed you to be disabled, that you met the criteria set by the insurance company for disability, which means now you get payment from the insurance company. So on the one hand, we have a medical leave of absence, which is unpaid by the employer. The employer is simply allowing you to take time off work. On the other hand, we have disability insurance that you get benefits, payments that you get from an insurance company if you qualify under the terms of the policy. So obviously, if you qualify under the terms of the policy, you'll always also qualify for a medical leave of absence. But you absolutely could qualify for a medical leave of absence even though you do not qualify for the insurance. Clears that up big time. We'll continue with our chat about medical leaves and LTD. The number is 1-855-821-5900. And emails are lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. This is the Employment Hour on Talk Radio, AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. You want to drop uh, Lior an email here before we wrap up for the day? You can do so, Lior at employmenthour.com or the number anytime, even when the show is complete, is 1 855 821 5900. We were talking about medical leaves and uh, disability coverage, LTD. So, how long can an employee be on medical leave of absence? Yeah, another common question that I get. Uh, and remember, a medical leave of absence is simply time off work for medical reasons. You can be off of uh, off on a medical leave of absence as long as your doctor says you should be off. Sometimes that's a few days, sometimes a few months, sometimes it's a few years if that's how long your doctor says. So there's really no time limit. Now, after a very long absence, usually two years or more, and if there's still no hope of you really coming back to work, the employer may say enough is enough, and now it becomes what we call a frustration of contract. But that's very rare and that's very extreme and only with really long absences. So you can be off work for medical reasons as long as the doctor says it's not up to your employer to say how long we're going to allow you to be off. Mm. It's up to your doctor. Your employer has to simply comply. So your employer gives you a call one day, you've been off for some time, says, yeah, you know what, you got to come back to work. You're not ready to. What do you do? Well, you know, first of all, it's not up to the employer or to the individual to decide if the employee is ready to come back to work. It's up to the doctor. So if your employer is telling you you should be coming back to work, uh, enough is enough, well, your first call, your first visit is going to be to your doctor, and you're going to tell your doctor, here's my situation, can I go back to work? If the doctor says no, you need a note from your doctor to your employer saying, uh, I've uh, seen John, I've examined John, John's unable to work still, we'll reassess him in a week, two weeks, a month, whatever it is. Uh, And that's what you have to provide your employer, and that's enough. If your employer says, we don't care about that, you're not coming back to work, we're firing you, well, not only would that be a wrongful dismissal, that would potentially be a violation of the Human Rights Code, it's illegal. So an employer has to do what the doctor says, but again, it's not up for you, the employee, to decide, well, now I, I can't come back to work, or now I can come back to work. It's up to a doctor to say that. Any difference when WSIB is involved? Not really, not really. And, and again, you, you qualify for WSIB in certain situations. If you uh, incurred an injury in the workplace and it meets a criteria set by the WSIB, the fact that uh, you qualify or don't qualify for WSIB doesn't change the fact that you can and should be allowed a medical leave of absence from work if your doctor says you should be off work. 
So if you, whether the accident is in the workplace or an injury that's not related to the workplace or just an illness or a sickness, as long as the doctor says you don't have to work or you cannot work, your employer cannot really argue. Your employer has to give you time off work. You said in past shows over the last you know, couple of years when we've touched on this topic that uh, when it comes to the leave of absence and your employer, uh, they can ask for prognosis, not diagnosis. Describe that. Exactly. So, And all the employer is allowed to know is how long are you expected to be off work or, or what is the likelihood of coming back to work, maybe what the limitations are, if there are any, and how long we expect those limitations to last. They're not allowed to know what is the underlying medical condition. So they're not allowed to know if you're uh, uh, off work because of uh, depression or because of a broken uh, shoulder. You know what I mean? Or if it's cancer or if it's anything else. Mm -hmm. You can certainly share that with them if you want as the employee, but an employer doesn't have a right to get that information. They can't require you to provide that. They can't ask your doctor for that. So they can't get a medical diagnosis, only a prognosis, only information about recovery, how long is it going to take, and what the limitations are. 1-855-821-5900 one 821 5900 anytime and Lior at employmenthour.com for an email. Will writes in, says, I've worked for a company for five years in sales position. And just let go. They consider me, you love this, to be an independent contractor. I worked exclusively for them full-time but did not have an office and I paid my own expenses. Am I entitled to severance? First of all, is he an independent contractor? Yeah, and you know, very, very good question. And We talked about that a bit earlier in the show. And that is situations where someone maybe considered themselves or on paper may be an independent contractor, but in the eyes of the law are employees. So if you worked for five years and if you worked exclusively for them, he's likely to be an employee even if he paid his own expenses. Uh, so it means he gets severance. At the very worst, he probably is a dependent contractor, which still means he gets severance. Now, if he had worked for several companies and he didn't work regular hours, uh, and you know he didn't get all his income from this one company, then he may be an independent contractor. But based on what he said, he probably is not an independent contractor. He's an employee or a dependent contractor, which means he gets severance. We've got a couple, well, about a minute and a half left. Uh, run through one more time if people have not got a, uh, got a beat on it. That is severancepaycalculator.com. Yeah, I really can't emphasize this enough because it, it is a tool that's changed the way everyone has looked at this idea of severance, at, at the con- uh, compensation that you get when you lose your job. So, again, you go to severancepaycalculator.com or, by the way, John, we have an Android app, uh, an iPad app, an iPhone app. You can download it for free. It's uh, it's very easy to do if you if you prefer to use it on your phone. Uh, and now you have that tool. Now you're armed. Now you have this ammunition there that you know what your legal rights are, whether you need it now or whether you need it in the future. So severancepaycalculator.com, it tells you how much severance you're owed if you lost your job, if you're about to lose your job or are just worried about losing it. Uh, and you input your age, your position, and the length of your employment, and it's going to tell you how many months pay you're owed. Everyone should use that, employees, employers, it's free. If you know anyone that's lost your job, you're going to be doing them a huge, huge favor if you tell them about severancepaycalculator.com. Any other online tools you have they can uh, check out? No. Oh, yes, I do. Sorry. Uh-huh. Uh, terminationquestions.com, yep. Johnny. Uh, anyone that has questions that we didn't get to on the show or, or that wants to be anonymous and, and not you know speak to me for whatever reason, you can go to terminationquestions.com. Ask your question there anonymously. Uh, we can post the answer right there for you within minutes. There's literally thousands of questions that have been asked and answered, so you can take a look. Mm-hmm 
mm-hmm. through there. Get a, a master's degree in employment law if that's what you want. So you can go to terminationquestions.com. Brilliant. Till next time, the number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Give Lior a call right now, or you can email him as well, Lior L I O R at employmenthour.com. This has been the Employment Hour on AM six forty and AM nine hundred CHML.